0: Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to
1: another episode of the Digital Insurance Point podcast. This is our M&A series, and um, we have a special guest with us, but first I'm gonna introduce my colleagues uh steve earl ceo of cheap insurance jeff roy ceo of excalibur insurance welcome everyone and adam mitchell ceo of mitch hello guys and very pleased to have kenny nichols with us today he is the ceo of western and hi kenny kenny maybe you can to start us off here before we dive into the questions uh maybe just give us a quick background how did you come to be uh a transplanted Quebecer living in booming High River working at uh, working in the insurance business.
2: Well, frankly, like, like most, I uh, kind of never planned on being in insurance, but just ended up seeing the light and uh, grew a liking to it. So, about 10 years ago, um, I was working for Desjardins, uh, who had just acquired uh, Western, and uh, I got tapped on the shoulder to see if I had any interest of moving my family out West. And uh, so I came out here, met with Scott Dennis, and it was, uh, we kind of, um, we hit it off pretty good. And, uh, and who went, uh, Scott's a a great individual, great man. And uh, so I decided to come here and and, uh, give it a try. I came out here as the CFO and uh, about six, seven years later, became the the CEO and uh, been enjoying every, every piece of it.
3: That's that's Kenny. How about Western Financial Group, Western? Tell us a little bit of background about the firm, where they came from, where they're going.
2: So I, I mentioned Scott uh, before. In 1996, Scott acquired his first uh, first agency based in High River, and this this is where I am today. And his vision was to actually bring markets to uh, rural Canadian towns. Uh, because back then there was there wasn't much opportunities or much options for for uh for Canadians that lived in rural towns and so he started with one acquisition to um, you know fast forward to uh, i guess 20, 26 years now uh we're over we're present in over two hundred and ten locations across the country We're coast to coast about two thousand uh, people and uh, I, I refer to my people as people not employees employees to me. Kind of carry numbers and stuff so i i refer to them as people uh because that's what they are and uh serving about a million customers plus uh a year uh we've got uh we've got access to over 100 markets and um you know we we were acquired five years ago by wawanisa a uh, great fit uh obviously a, a, a shareholder who's dedicated to the broker channel uh, so they let us operate as a uh, an independent um, uh, broker, and we we offer the best products out there for our customers.
4: Kenny, why should a broker sell to you? What's the elevator pitch you can give you know all of us uh, digital brokers and everybody across Canada that will listen to this podcast? Uh, aside from money, what value do you bring to the table in a purchase?
2: Yeah, it's uh, to me, it's all about the legacy you want to leave. Uh, these these broker owners have have spent their life. Uh, building these successful businesses, and the last thing you want to do is kind of just cash in a big check, then walk away and kind of see your 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 legacy being uh, torn down, twisted, uh, turned upside down. Um, so so essentially, what we um, what we promise is that we we want to take over the business. We want to you know have the broker join the family. We rarely talk about acquisition or M and A. That's kind of a a technical term. We talk about succession. We want to be seen as a uh, as a uh, an owner succession plan, and we want to move in and essentially want to want to uh, continue the legacy that these people have, uh, have built. We want to continue giving back to the communities, uh, using the markets that they've uh, they've developed, the relationship they've developed with markets. Obviously, we've got we come with additional markets with our ways of doing things, technology. Uh, we we we've got. Uh, We've got 300 uh, people dedicated to support our whole organization. So whether it's IT, finance, communications, marketing, uh, you name it, we've got it. Um, so these are all um, things that are kind of done in the background that normally, uh, you know, smaller brokers wouldn't necessarily be able to gain access. But our, our primary objective is to uh, to not just uh Kind of walk in and just take it over. We uh, we essentially want to continue building what the owners have spent their lifetime building and uh, try to do it a bit better. Uh, but uh, sometimes it's it's kind of actually challenging because we've we've acquired some very very good businesses, uh, but we all always find a way. Obviously, we've got a number of markets. Like I said, over a hundred markets. Um, it's it's quite hard for a market to uh, to walk away from Western because we carry a lot of weight. And so it, it does allow us to uh to weather some some hard market storms uh as we've seen in the in the past. I'm I'm sympathetic to a lot of uh a lot of our, our smaller broker friends out there that uh the last two years have had a lot of issues finding capacity.
0: You had a, a clever line for um you prefer to to refer to your your team as people as opposed to staff or employees. Is there a name for Target brokers or future broker partners, or what do you? What's your lingo for that internally?
2: That's a good question. We're we're tossing it around between agencies, brokers. They are what they are, um, so so not really a lingo for the targets per se. Uh, you know, we we can always refer to them as potential family members uh, because when when we do, yeah, when we do sit down, we do we do talk about succession, having their organization join ours. So.
0: So what does a ideal potential family member look like? And, you know, what does that represent for size or geography? Uh,
2: there's, there's no, there's no one. Um, I, I, we, we've, we've uh, over the years, we've partnered with uh, a variety of, of different brokers of different sizes that look very differently, whether it's geography, uh, whether it's, it's product, um, one thing for sure, we we really look at culture fit. That is our number one criteria. Uh, we want to make sure that the uh, the owners feel as good about us as we feel about them. Uh, we we find that 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 allows us to hit it off pretty good at the fir- at at the very start, and that that might be why we uh, we actually avoid bidding races because that that does not allow us to spend enough. Quality time with the owners, and just try to understand uh, the legacy they've built and 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 how they're going about their business. Because uh, we feel that if they've been successful doing it that way, uh, there's definitely something for us to learn about, and we want to make sure we don't we don't have that kind of drop off when uh, when we move in.
1: Great. So let's talk a little bit about uh, what's about digital. Right, this is the Digital Insurance Point podcast. So when you're looking at a couple of brokers, and let's say, for sake of argument, they are the same except one has a strong digital footprint or presence, whether that's front office or back office. Do you value that? Do they? Do do, do you? Would you pay a higher price for that broker's that's invested time, energy, and money into building their their digital?
2: Absolutely, that's, that's a good question, Tom. It's it's and it's quite apropos, right? In the last few years, uh, what I would say to that though, I. I I would actually first of all answer back with a with a question myself is uh, is that digital strategy working for that broker? What I mean by that is we've been approached or we've we've looked at at various uh, brokers who who kind of say that they're they're digital. They've been able to attract customers onto their website and they've got these fancy gadgets uh, and and fancy tools, but uh, they have a hard time fulfilling. The uh, the actual sale, or uh, do they have the markets? Uh, so um, so it, there again, I think there would have to be, uh, you know, people don't. I, I mean, I I've, I've, we've been approached by people like we're we're attracting this amount of of, of visitors on our website a day. Uh, given our size and our geographic locations, we've got a pretty good online. Uh, searchability. And so our, our name kind of comes up relatively uh, nice. And, and Adam, I think you would you would know a little about that. Uh, but essentially, uh, are you able to fulfill? And so you know, if I'm going to buy or acquire or invest in a broker in an organization that all they do is essentially attract uh, customers, but then I need to invest in making sure I'm able to hold my promise to these customers. They've taken the time to kind of go onto my site, either you know, complete a, a form, uh, ask for a, 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 um, a quote. Uh, I need to be able to follow it by ac- with action. And, and that's where I think a lot of the brokers that we've studied, we've looked at, uh, fall short. Now, some have very sophisticated systems that we've actually been very interested in. But then they they kind of value you know so we we would attribute the value of the cost of the system, whereby the, the owners though see it as an overall business, uh, but they they either can't attract like we've we've looked at few at uh, some they were spending millions and millions of dollars in advertising to attract customers, um, you know and is is it actually working? Then they've got this sophisticated system. The customer goes into the system. They got no markets. Uh, or they 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 have very little uh, people to kind of complete the transaction. Um, so it um, my answer to that would be it depends.
3: So Kenny, former owners or partners or whatever you had mentioned, you said it investment at one point. So do you want them? Do you want them around? So I guess the question is: A, if it's an outright buy do you want the, the previous principle or principles to stick around or part and parcel with that? Do you do partial buys?
2: Uh, yes to both. Uh, so obviously our, our approach is, is sitting down with the owners and kind of understanding what they want to do, where they want to go. Uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, sometimes they're not, they're just not ready now, but they do want to try to work on their succession plan immediately. Uh, we've run into brokers who initially had an exit plan, and that's fallen short. And they don't want to wait until they uh, they they get themselves in a, a a situation where they have to move. Uh, so they're they're forward looking, and uh, so we, we can arrange that from a uh, from a former owner perspective. We absolutely welcome uh, owners to to stick around. Uh, essentially, for as long as they want uh but we we actually normally would would ask them to stay at least for eighteen to twenty four months we've signed deals where the owners once they receive their check they just run out and you never see them again and that that's quite fine it it's It's important though for us to kind of understand what we're up against. The benefit of having owners stick around is it's a it's a much better um way for us to immediately get closer. Uh, to To the people that are there, that essentially don't know us, uh, right? So, so through the owner, uh, we we have that ability of of instoring, uh, trust into into the people, into the customers as well, as well as the community. Um, you know, we we don't pretend that that people know us, uh, and uh, and therefore, when we walk into a new community, it's it's important for us to try to, you know hang on to, uh, to, to something that, that, that will allow people to still appreciate the, uh, the, the business we're, we're, we're going to be uh, running. So for an owner, now this said, the owner has to agree to act, to no longer act as an owner. And sometimes that ends up being a challenge, uh, but we're, we're really upfront with, uh, with, with these owners saying, look, there, there will be changes. And, and we actually sit down with them and kind of take them through our integration plan. Uh, for various reasons, we need to make sure that systems uh, speak to each other as, as quickly as possible. We, you know, we, 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 wanna, we, we want to consolidate market contracts. Uh, there's various things we want to do to allow us to be uh, a bit more seamless and allow our, our value proposition to be uh, able to be transferable to that new, uh, new owner group. But without a doubt, Steve, our number one option is always we want to move in and just take control of the whole thing, if possible, because that's that's easier for us. But if it's not easier or what the uh, what the other party wants, we sit down and we try to figure out something that works. If you're giving me a path to an eventual uh, full ownership, then we'll sit down and we'll uh, we'll make it work. We've got, like I said, we've got lots of. Of people with a lot of, of, of financial and legal background, we can actually even help the owners kind of set that up as well.
4: That's, that's good. What well, kind of leads into my question? I think you've somewhat. I'm guessing I know the answer, but we have to make sure we ask you, uh, if you buy a, a brokerage, do they get to keep their name? And you know, it kind of sounds like to me that generally you change the name if they're model number one where you buy them and take control, but if you have partial ownership, it sounds like you may allow the broker to maintain their name. Maybe explain how that would work.
2: As funny as it may seem, we don't have a one-size-fits-all approach for for the branding. Uh, Our ultimate goal is to brand everything Western, without a doubt. We all know how how less expensive it is managing one name rather than uh, multiple uh, numbers, uh, number of brands. Uh, But obviously, we have to recognize that that brand for that community uh, is worth something. And the last thing we want to do is erode value just because we've decided to go on an ego trip and just brand Western. Uh, you know, like I said, Western may not mean anything to the community members, and so, uh, so in a case like this, we would we would uh, have a plan to eventually work ourselves up. Um, I remember many years ago we we acquired a uh, eleven branches out in the Cranbrook area in the interior of BC, and um, as as much as we had lots of branches in BC, we were not known in that region. So a few years before taking over, uh, we actually participated in the, uh, in the building of a new rec center they had and, and paid for naming rights. And so for two years, people kind of knew who Western was. So it was, it, it was a way for us to introduce ourselves into the community. It doesn't mean that we're gonna you know, buy into rec centers all the time. But my, my point is that we, uh, we don't we, we are very careful not to erode any value. And, um, and so, for example, uh, the Wyatt Dowling Group right now out in Winnipeg we're, is still branded Wyatt Dowling. We've, we've, uh, we've owned them for, uh, for a few years uh, now, and uh, we're working up to uh, you know, the time when we're going to be comfortable and, and branding it uh, Western. So uh, no size fits all approach or no, not, not one size fits all approach, but a deliberate approach towards one brand for sure.
0: What's, um, how should acquired uh, teammates or employees think about um, Western or what's in it for the acquired employees?
2: The, the first thing we do with, uh, with the people is um, we make a commitment that none of them are going to go backwards in terms of uh, total comp. Right? And by total comp, I mean compensation benefits and the, the whole thing. Comp, total comp might be allocated differently than it was prior, uh, but essentially not one of them will be going backwards. Uh, If anything, what we've seen in the past is they end up uh, earning a bit more than they were for various reasons. We've got a sophisticated uh, benefits package, which normally we try to roll in, but uh, there's a systematic uh, comparison made prior and after and making sure that nobody goes backwards we uh we make a firm commitment of that we also make sure that all people all all of the people uh essentially sign a new a new contract we've kind of realized going, moving forward that it actually uh adds security to the people uh cuz obviously they don't know us uh, like i said we've you know the, the the advantage we have is we've been on both sides of the uh, of the the acquisition piece right we've we've been the acquiree and we've been the acquirer uh and and so it kind of allows us to also be able to put ourselves in the acquired uh person's uh, seat and kind of know uh pretty much how they're feeling uh so we we i, I think we've got a pretty good approach where we uh, we do reach out to uh to the people we have one on one meetings with them uh make sure that we we get to understand them and and add the security they need. We've got some examples where uh that we were meeting sitting down with people and they were to announce that they they had to leave because their their better half had been transferred to Vancouver and let's say that's in Manitoba or wherever we said well we've got branches out there so let's let's see where you're moving and next thing you know they're staying on board but they're working at our at, at one of our BC branches and uh so that's that's kind of something that people uh people get to like we've we've actually uh, re reconnected with uh, with former uh, with with former uh, western uh, western people that were now kind of we when we started acquiring in Ontario we ran into a couple of former of our of our people who are now working for Ontario branches so
1: you mentioned that uh, you have a hundred plus carriers and you know likely you're going to have more carriers than the brokerages brokers that you're acquiring um, how do you how do you manage the carry relationships? Is there you know is there is there is there winners and losers in that?
2: Well, first of all, yeah, especially in, in today's world, who who in their right mind would get rid of markets? <laughs> so so that's that, that's kind of one thing to keep in mind. Uh, but to specifically answer your question, Tom, when we come in again, the the volume that we we represent. Uh, for any carriers that perhaps we're not that well accustomed to uh there's there's an immediate uh uh it, it triggers an immediate call from them to us and say hey uh you know is there any opportunity for you to kind of bring us in in your other branches and so it opens up conversations uh we feel that if these markets have been good to uh the uh the broker group we're we're inviting into the family uh, we, we, we kind of spend time making sure that, uh, that we, we kind of keep that relationship going. Uh, most of the time, most of the, the, uh, the, the carriers that the brokers will be dealing with, we already have a contract with, uh, but it has happened where we've been introduced to new markets and we've actually added them. Um, and in the end, there are, you know, a few every once in a while that we, we end up seeing that, you know what, we've got a better market for those types of customers uh, but that would not be a, a typical uh, reaction but you know I, I'd be lying to tell you that 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 has not happened in the past uh, but it's 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 you know we're talking about very small volumes here
5: to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't you survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions today. Get started today and learn more at MBSbrokerage.com. That's where you learn more. MBSbrokerage.com. Cash certified. How do you how
3: do you figure out what a brokerage is worth in your mind. Is that, uh, is that multiples of EBITDA? Is that multiples of commission? Uh, a mix of both? And second part to that is, where are these multiples going in your mind?
2: Yeah, that is, uh, so, so the answer to that is yes. Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I forgot to tell you at, at the introduction that I'm, a, I'm an accountant by trade. So it it, it, did, it did take me quite a bit of years to actually see the light and, and really realize that that uh, insurance was more interesting than accounting, uh, but uh, but no not not all of us not all of us are are as quick. So it did take me a few more years. But but valuation is really interesting. I I feel that each each broker group comes with its own specific value. Um, you know, the, the, you know. Right now, it, it it appears to be trendy to kind of focus on on revenue, uh, and as much as I, I feel that that is a part of it, uh, you know, op, operating profit or or what we use in a, in our jargon as as EBITDA, so earnings before income taxes and depreciation and amortization, which is not even an accounting term; it just came to be as some type of operating profit. Um, is is a is a better representation of 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 true value because that's that's kind of you know it's it's the creation of value from from the so how how much how much profit dollars do you generate per dollar of revenue uh, which i i feel is really important um when i came in when i came in the business 11 years ago uh we were we were acquiring at two to three times revenue or about six to eight times EBITDA uh, when you kind of look at at uh, the trend right now where we're probably trending three and a half to four and a four and a half times revenue and uh and probably i'd say ten to thirteen uh times uh if not even fourteen times uh EBITDA, it's uh it's it's changed there's a lot of capital out there there's a there's a a real need uh for 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 people to uh to invest in brokerages. Uh, and there's various reasons for it. I personally, I uh, I feel that anything over 14 times EBITDA is is starting to look like my God. What are you doing as as an investor? And if I were an owner, I would just be concerned that in order for that investor to make uh, to make it viable, that what what's the plan behind that? In order for them to make it viable? Uh, Will they be looking for synergies? And when you look at a brokerage where about 75% of expenses are tied to people, uh, you you quickly realize that then, you know, if if you want to make it more profitable, uh, unless by miracle you can start increasing revenue, uh, you're going to be cutting down on people. And that might not necessarily be what you want because then you've got service levels uh, dropping. So it's a uh, uh, right now, I, I have to admit, it, it is alarming to kind of see uh, some of some of the, 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 the multiples that, that are being paid right now. But at the end of the day, you know what? If uh, good on, on the owners, if, if that's what they wanted, they, they wanted to get the highest price. Um, you know, I, I feel that as much as there's a broker group for every acquirer, there's also an acquirer for every broker group. And uh, and I think there's enough acquirers out there, consolidators as we call them, to to kind of please everybody. So I, you know, the, the word to owners would be just make sure you spend time uh, speaking with the owners and try to figure out what it what is it you want, because sometimes part of the valuation is not necessarily in the price itself, but is 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 the post closing what's going to happen after, right? And and will you be continuing my legacy or not? If it's something that doesn't matter to you, then price is all that counts. If it is, then then I would say, you know, make sure you you get to understand who your acquirer is, and spend a bit more time. Um, a lot of advisors out there are obviously going to encourage their their clients to get themselves involved in a in a bidding war. Um, it's, it's, it shouldn't be all about price. No different than selling insurance shouldn't be about price. It should be about the value. And and the comfort we provide to our customers, I I feel that M and A should be seen as the same as as the same thing as well.
4: Great, uh, awesome insight on that, Kenny. It's really good to open up the hood and see how you see the market and how it's evolved. I know you know back when I started, two times was kind of the going rate per revenue way back. Adam before Adam was born, probably I'm so old. But uh, anyway, the uh, is there anything to do to, besides you've got your valuation methods. But what other factors or levers can help that number? You know, if you're going to get to 14 or maybe 15 times EBITDA or 4.5 times on the upper end, what can brokers do to make sure that multiple is increased? Is it, uh, you know, having a really high sales rate? You know, if I'm growing at 25% and my EBITDA is 20% and I'm over that factor of 40, is that sexy to get the multiple up? Is if I'm super profitable and I'm getting some big CPC checks, uh, not just over the last year when nobody's driving during. COVID, but sustain, uh, You know, I'm a digital. What is there any levers? Do I have a, have a, do I have a group plan? What kind of levers can help brokers do to get that number up in the higher end?
2: Good, Jeff. Uh, CPC is definitely a good indicator of the quality of, of book that brokers have. And, and this is something that we really look at. Um, we, we, we take a lot of pride in making sure that we, we provide good value for the markets we represent. And so it would be no different for you know we wouldn't necessarily want to uh, uh, get ourselves involved with a, a broker who seems to be in the penalty box with most of its markets, right? Uh, that that is something that doesn't necessarily show up on the financial statements. So you you've got to know what questions to ask. You you need to know what to look for. Uh, no different than we've we've uh, we've encountered many uh, owners who you know uh, 2 years prior to actually selling knew that they were moving there and therefore stop they stop spending they stop giving increases to the their people they start rolling books just to inflate um and inflate uh, commission and and these are things that any sophisticated buyers will will easily pick up on and uh we're going to normalize it back down right to to, to what it should be to kind of get to a more normal uh, number so I, I would say, uh, you know, definitely the health of the book, consistency is, is definite, are definitely factors that will allow us to, uh, to perhaps pay top dollars based on what we see. Um, helping us kind of understand where the opportunities lie as well. Uh, so sometimes undeveloped markets. So for example, if we're looking at commercial brokers that are very light on employee benefits uh revenue for example or customers well we could see that as an opportunity so each each acquire each each broker group has may may have their own opportunities and and so if you know it, it all depends on on the market you're in and uh and whether or not we feel that we can kind of make a run at it because again these multiples are all future values right you, you haven't earned that yet it's, it's all a question of of what what the acquirer feels that they can they can do with your business to essentially then make a good return at it so
4: just a little deeper on the cpc or the contingent is that like 10 percent of revenue to 20 percent is a range you like to look for or five percent of premium how do you usually look at the cpc amount as in terms of a, a number multiple
2: any broker who'd be at 10, 20% of their overall revenue with CPC is is, is quite phenomenal. I would say, uh, I, I, I think that normally the, the range would be maybe five, eight, 9%. Uh, obviously the smaller broker you are, it, it all depends on the arrangements you have, but we've seen a lot of small brokers who unfortunately don't even have CPC arrangements because they don't have enough volume there, um, right? So uh, again, I, I would I would say it depends. Uh, and that's another thing, not because you've got c p c would it mean that we would not to us that might be an opportunity right where we bring the you on to our contract next thing you know your your book is is you know you've got a good book of of business we we can actually leverage and then start creating c p c opportunities uh but but yeah, so I don't know what you guys are seeing but i i would uh man I would jump on on a broker who's able to generate twenty percent of its revenue through CPC, uh, they, they, must, they, they must be doing something pretty, pretty good.
3: <laughs> so Kenny, just, just for clarification, going back to multiples and EBITDA, when when you say multiples in the 10 to 13, 14% times uh, EBITDA, does that include or exclude CPC?
2: That's a good question. So EBITDA would include CPC.
3: Okay, because a golden rule with brokers has always been X amount plus CPC, which we you know, so uh, just for valuation purposes.
2: That's a good question. It's it's uh, if you look at it from a pure revenue perspective, then then I think you you've got to exclude CPC because uh, you're looking at the growth potential. Uh, but from an EBITDA perspective, now we we normally average out CPC. We don't necessarily just take one year. We're gonna we're gonna average out three to five years out, right? To, to kind of, especially. Like the last two years, uh, CPC has been artificially inflated for for obvious reasons. Uh, so, so we, you know, I, I think one, one needs to be a little careful about that.
0: How do the valuations in your book compare between heavy commercial lines brokers versus heavy personal lines brokers?
2: From a valuation perspective, it's it's really uh, not difficult to understand that. I, truly, a commercial broker normally would be more efficient than a personal lines broker. Uh, larger you know less policies, larger dollars uh, so your infrastructure doesn't necessarily need to be the same. Um, we we look more at the opportunity uh, so the opportunity of 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 converting your commercial book into personal lines business as well uh, is is definitely an opportunity so Oftentimes, I, I might see that's why uh, some uh, acquirers might be favoring higher multiples for commercial business. There might be more opportunities there to grow, uh, whereas a Personal Lines uh, book purely has limitations to how much it can grow, uh, right? It's uh, it, Depending on how many brokers are there in that community you're looking at. If there's only a few of you and you already have 30, 40% of the market, how much more can you expect to get Uh, from a commercial perspective? Then I I think your, your opportunities are much wider Uh, because if, and, 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 you know, I, I know a lot of commercial uh, brokers now are, are trying to tap in to their customer base and trying to get home and auto uh, from that as well, especially in, in, in Ontario and in Alberta might not be the same thing for the government auto provinces and then you can expand through through life through employee benefits as well uh, so I, I I feel that the uh, the opportunities to grow commercial are are much uh, much bigger than than personal lines
1: so let me talk a little bit about uh, <clears throat> possibly a fly in the ointment here in terms of a sale right we've been talking about how the seller sells the business. You buy the business. And it's really a matter of fit and price and so on. But uh, especially, a, you know, there's a large number of rights of first refusal or rofers out there these days. And uh, maybe just tell us how what 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 impact does that have on your desi- in your desire towards the brokers? And, and maybe just for the benefit of our listeners, maybe just quickly explain what a rofer is, and then you can tell me what how how you incorporate that fact into the conversations and, and discussions you have with, with your intended acquiree.
2: Okay. The, the majority of rights of first refusals we've seen or we've come across are, are essentially between a broker and a carrier. And, and essentially, you know at one point in time, a broker needed financing, uh, got it from a carrier, uh, in return, the carrier wanted to make sure that that broker would be supportive of that carrier, and therefore, uh, it was a way for them uh, outside the ability to uh, to 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 invest in the equity immediately if the broker wasn't ready for that, or even the carrier wasn't interested at that point in time. It it, it did it does allow carriers to kind of secure their their volume with uh, with these brokers, and also allow them to either. Eventually, uh, move in and acquire, if that's their strategy, or at least uh, uh, be be uh, a, a, able to allow or or to choose on who who would be acquiring. So it, it all depends on the strategy. We we typically don't shy away uh, from this. To, there's you know there's oftentimes there's a reason if if a broker has approached us and and is showing interest in us acquiring them. There's obviously either been discussions with the carrier already, or we would hope so, uh, and maybe either the carrier's not ready or has changed their minds and the rofer is still there, but they're no longer in the business of acquiring brokers, and therefore the broker's finding themselves in a position where their succession plan is no longer what it, what it was. Um, in such a case, what we would do is, is as we're negotiating with the broker, we would make it very clear that in order for us to move in, uh, they would have to sit down with the carrier and, and, and get the, get release, complete release of the, uh, of the rover. Right. And that, that would be, then that, that just allows us to kind of move forward. And, um, and, and sometimes, you know, the carrier will want to talk to us and kind of say, okay, are you going to walk in and just, just uh just kind of knocked me out. Uh, now the good thing about when Western moves in is we we've got a very good reputation with all acquire uh, with all carriers. And therefore carriers don't feel threatened when we uh, we move in because they know that we don't we don't move book. Uh we will and for a good 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 reason, but uh, otherwise we don't. So so I've never I've never come across a market that that has felt um threatened by by us moving in so so typically we would have it waived and and we just move but that that's how we go about it obviously if the market doesn't want to move on that and that's a different story and 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 yes we might decide to kind of move away uh but uh we haven't come across that yet so i i can't say we've had to sit down and kind of think about it
3: kenny what's your end game like how long is western going to be doing this like what's not not you personally but like Western's, uh, is it conquer the world, be the, the biggest broker in Canada, expand into the US and the UK, and maybe even Brazil, like some of our friends at IFC have done? What, what is the end game here?
2: We've always been a humble group. Um, and so I, 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 like, I like keeping it like this because uh, we're, you know, although we are a big guy, we're, we're not necessarily always seen as, as a big guy. Um, I, I think our I compare our our end game to uh, to being recognized as maybe the Disney of of insurance, whereby we want to make sure that people recognize us for the great experience and the the, the, the level of expertise we uh, we bring to the table. We uh, you know call that maybe dominating the the Canadian landscape. We are we are focus focusing on Canada for now. We don't have any any other expansion plans other than in Canada. I, I feel that just just understanding the Canadian market in itself is is, is quite, uh, quite quite complex in in its time as well. so uh, adding additional countries may, uh, may not necessarily be up our alley right now uh, but as they say never say never. Um, I, yeah I, I would want Cana- I, I would want to get Western to a point where uh, Canadians recognize the Western brand and, and associate it to a great experience. And, and as, we, as we were saying a little earlier on, um, insurance is, is often seen as a, a necessary evil by people. Uh, but I, I think we want to start changing people's minds on that, uh, letting people know that uh, you know, insurance is important enough that it allows you to drive your car legally. Uh, it allows you to mortgage your home and, uh, and then to you know, safeguard the assets. You've, you've worked your ass off all these years to kind of pay, you know, for people, the biggest purchase they'll ever make in their life is a home. And, and for some, even a car.
3: So what I hear you're saying is Western is not so cocky as to throw out a Brazilian dollar plan and advertise it that way. No.
2: <laughs> no, I, I don't know if you're looking at one of your colleagues, but, uh, but, but like I said, you know, it's, it's it kind of to each his own. We, uh, we, uh, we 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 do want to remain top five in in the uh, in the as, you know in the retail uh, insurance space, uh, but but essentially our uh, our will to dominate I guess would be uh, would be just make yeah it, it, it'd be it'd be kind of brand awareness and, and, and for us to be recognized as yeah I'd, I'd like to be compared to Disney in our in our own realm. Uh, you know, I, I, I do like, I, I do like some of the people who, you know, like, you know, uh, insurance, it, it, you know, making it, you know, making it so that insurance doesn't suck or something like that. I, you know, some people on this, uh, on this podcast here kind of use that often. Uh, uh well, I, I want to stay away from it because at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's, it, it shouldn't, insurance shouldn't necessarily be about price. Now, some insurance products can be about price. Uh, but we have a saying at western that you know uh, insurance is complicated let's not make it complicated we don't need to make it complicated uh right and uh, so we're we're trying to make it easy for people uh and that that starts uh, that starts with our people so recruiting the best people we you know quite proud to say that we uh, we're the uh, the first and probably the only uh right now broker a canadian broker who's been uh uh, named as as top one hundred employer in Canada, so that's that's kind of an important feat because we're uh, we're in the people organization and we're in the people relationship business, people doing business with people. So under knowing that our people are feel highly engaged and and uh, you know will will allow us to translate that onto our customers and make our customers feel great.
1: So huge thanks to uh, IFS Premium Finance, our premier sponsor and crew group as well. And also shout out to our charity partner, WIC. Thank you very much for all you guys do to support the podcast.
0: Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call. I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should
5: use IFS. Cheers.